Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. A couple of weeks ago, a story came out about the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas suggesting that he had taken gifts for favors. The story was proven to be a non-story and really a nothing burger. And it was just another attempt to discredit one of the most conservative justices on the court. But that did not stop the propaganda media from trying again, of course. From a series of articles from the Daily Wire comes this. Mark Paoletta, a longtime friend of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and lawyer to his wife, defended Thomas in a lengthy statement on Thursday after another left-wing publication ran a hit piece on the 74-year-old justice. ProPublica reported on Thursday that GOP billionaire donor Harlan Crow paid thousands of dollars for private schooling for a great-nephew of Thomas of the Thomases that he raised as a son for more than a decade. The report suggested that Thomas did something wrong because he did not disclose the payments as gifts. Quote, The Thomases have rarely spoken publicly about the remarkable generous efforts to help a child in need. This is what Paoletta said. They have always respected the privacy of this young man and his family. It is disappointing and painful, but unsurprising, that some journalists and critics cannot do the same. The Thomases quietly and honorably devoted 12 years of their lives to helping a beloved child in desperate need of love, support, and guidance. He continued on to say, In 1997, Justice Thomas and his wife brought their great-nephew to live with them. They agreed to take in this young child, much as Justice Thomas's grandparents had done for him and his brother in 1955. Paoletta said that, that Thomas's grandparents changed the trajectory of his life and that Thomas wanted to do the same for a child in his family who was in need. Quote, Justice Thomas and his wife made immeasurable personal and financial sacrifices and poured every ounce of their lives and hearts into giving their great-nephew a chance to succeed, Paoletta said. In the summer of, of 2006, the Thomases were struggling to find a school where they could send their great-nephew. In discussing these challenges with their, their dear friends, Harlan and Kathy Crow, Harlan recommended that the Thomases consider one, of, uh, uh, one more option, sending their great-nephew to Randolph-Macon Academy. Harlan had attended Randolph-Macon and he thought the school would be a good fit. Harlan had financially supported Randolph-Macon since the 1980s and funded scholarships for students from disadvantaged backgrounds. Harlan offered to pay the first year of Thomas's great-nephew's tuition in 2006, and that payment went directly to the school. Now, that's important. Harlan Crow's office confirmed that he did not pay the great-nephew's tuition for any other year at Randolph-Macon. Theoletta said that the Randolph-Macon recommended that the great-nephew go to a boarding school in Georgia for a year and that Harlan offered to pay 
for the first year of tuition at the boarding school and that the payments were made directly to the boarding school. Paoletta said that it was despicable that the media has used Thomas, great nephew, in its efforts to smear him. This story is another attempt to manufacture a scandal about Justice Thomas, but let's be clear about what is supposedly scandalous now. Justice Thomas and his wife devoted 12 years of their lives to taking in and caring for a beloved child who was not even their own. But as Justice Thomas's grandparents had done for him, they made many personal and financial sacrifices to do this. And along the way, their friends joined them in everything possible to give this child a future. So here is a very smart black judge on the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, being attacked mercilessly simply because he is a conservative and, and possibly the next chief justice. These stories are not examples of corruption. What is an example of corruption comes from the same very Supreme Court, but from a different judge. Liberal uh, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor declined to recuse herself from multiple copyright infringement cases involving book publisher Penguin Random House, despite having been paid millions by the firm for her books, making it by far her largest source of income, records show. Now, in 2010, she got a $1.2 million book advance from uh, Doubleday Group, a a part of, of the conglomerate. And in, in, in 2012, he reported receiving, uh, she reported receiving two advance payments from the publisher totaling $1.9 million, almost $2 million. In 2013, Sotomayor voted in a decision for whether the court should hear a case against the publisher called Aaron Greenspan versus Random House. Despite then fellow Justice Stephen Breyer, he recusing him he recused himself after also receiving money from the publisher greenspan was a harvard classmate of mark zuckerberg's who wrote a a book about the founding of facebook and contended that random house rejected his book proposal and then awarded a deal to another author who copied his book and eventually turned it into a movie the, the social network In 2017, Sotomayor began receiving payments each year from Penguin Random House itself, which continued annually through at least 2021. The most recent uh, disclosure available uh, is that, and it it totaled more than $500,000. In all, she received $3.6 million from Penguin Random House or its subsidiaries, and this is according to the Daily Wire uh, tally of financial disclosures. Now, in October of 2019, children's author Jenny Nassisio, uh, uh, I guess is how you pronounce that, Nassisio, um, she uh, petitioned the Supreme Court to hear her lawsuit against Penguin Random House, alleging that the book publisher had copied her book by selling one that was nearly identical. On the same day, the pub- the uh, petition uh, that that the petition was was 
distributed to the justices, Sotomayor received a $10,586 check from the publisher on the very same day. On February 24th of 2020, the Supreme Court voted not to hear the case, denying the right, or I'm sorry, the writ of certiorari, uh, which, and, and, and meaning that the case would remain where it was left off with a, a, a circuit court having found that in, in the publisher's favor. Now, Sotomayor's next check coming in May of that year was the largest ever from the parent company at $82,807. The Supreme Court does not reveal how individual justice vote when it comes to certs, um, but it does note when they recuse, which Sotomayor did not. Her decision not to recuse is particularly notable because Bayer, again, recused, right? Bayer received payments from Penguin Random House or NOPF each year, which he seemingly viewed as a conflict, even though he received only a tenth of the amount, 340000 during the same time period as Sotomayor. Um, Bayer's wife also wrote a book for the company as well. The Penguin Random House money dwarfed the pay that Sotomayor received from the court and made up all of her reported outside earned income with the exception of a $6,000 in payments from from groups, uh, some of which related to her book and a $5,000 opinion fee, which typically relates to books according to the disclosures. Now, the publisher also footed the bill for her to speak to various groups and buyer, by contrast, would typically have the groups foot the bill. Sotomayor, who joined the court in 2009, is a prolific author. I mean, pumping out uh, the memoir, My Beloved World, and children's books such as Turning Pages, My Life Story, um, A Judge Grows in the Bronx. Uh, how about uh, Just Ask, Be Different, Be Brave, Be You, and her latest, Just Help. How to Build a Better World, which was published in 2022. After the most recent financial disclosure, uh, uh, this this, uh, uh, made a real imprint by Penguin Books. And the findings come amidst a seemingly coordinated push in the media accusing a slew of conservative judges of misconduct relating to their financial disclosures, such as you know, Justice Thomas's taking you know, trips financed by wealthy conservative friends, uh, Fix the Court, a nonpartisan group that has long watchdog Supreme Court fin- finances and which compiled some of the financial disclosures used in, in uh, the Daily Wire analysis, pointed out that Sonia Mayer uh, failed to disclose six trips in 2016 funded by outside groups before later correcting her disclosures. Fix the Court has criticized the conservative judges on financial disclosures more than anyone has, but even it said the media has overreacted with stories about right-leaning judges this month, uh, calling an issue um, with uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch selling a house misleading and saying um, breathless findings about Chief Justice John Roberts' wife working as a legal recruiter, much to do about nothing, is what they had to say about that. So, so even though liberals have been going after conservative ju- judges, it's one of their their own that is showing herself to be the corrupt one. And speaking 
of being corrupt. We have long documented how corrupt our current president of the United States is. He and his family have been running a pay-for-influence scheme for years now. And now there may be real hard evidence of all the money that the Bidens have been getting was actually bribery. Republican lawmakers demanded on Wednesday that the FBI produce an unclassified record that allegedly contains evidence showing then-Vice President Joe Biden was involved in a criminal bribery scheme with a foreign national, Senate uh, Budget Committee ranking member Chuck Grassley, uh, and House Committee on Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer, released a joint statement saying that the highly credible information was obtained from a whistleblower. Quote, based on those disclosures, it has come to our attention that the Department of Justice, or the DOJ, and the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the FBI, possesses an unclassified FD-1023 form that describes an alleged criminal scheme involving then-Vice President Biden and a foreign national relating to the exchange of money for policy decisions. That comes directly from a letter from Comer and Grassley uh, and said to uh, uh, Attorney General um, Merrick Garland and the FBI Director Christopher Wray. Quote, it has been alleged that the document includes a precise description of how the alleged criminal scheme was employed as well as its purpose. It, and the, letter, the letter continues and says, based on the alleged uh, specificity within the document, it would appear that the DOJ and the FBI have enough information to determine the truth and accuracy of the information contained within it. The letter said that it was not clear based on the information they received whether there would ever be an investigation or investigative steps taken to evaluate the information. Comer and Grassley said that, that, that there was significant public interest in how the FBI handled this information, specifically since there was growing concern about the DOJ and the FBI's track record of allowing political bias to infect their decision-making process. Um, and and the, the DOJ and the FBI appear to have valuable, verifiable information that you have failed to disclose to the American people. This is, this is for, directly from the letter now. It says, therefore, Congress will proceed to conduct an independent and objective review of this matter free from those agencies' influence. Comer uh, subpoenaed the uh, FBI for, quote, all FD-1023 forms, including within any open, closed, or restricted access case files, created or modified in June 2020 um, containing the term Biden, including all uh, account, uh, accompanying attachments and documents to those FD-1023 forms. So basically, he's, he's making sure that they can't wiggle out of this one. Now, Grassley, a longtime whistleblower, uh, advocate uh, said that that we believe the FBI possesses an unclassified internal document that includes very serious detailed allegations implicating the current president of the United States. And 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 I I will say I I will be it will be interesting to see if if those 
um, those documents ever actually get released or not. I We are going to keep an eye on it. I promise we will keep an eye on that. And if something comes up from that, we'll definitely have it here on the podcast. One of the things that is always interesting to see is that congressmen and congresswomen often get very rich while in the, in their positions of leadership. Uh, they don't actually get a huge salary. Uh, contrary to popular belief, um, they actually don't get very rich um, in 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 their in their positions as far as from the salaries that they get uh, for being a congressman uh, or woman. Uh, they they uh, they somehow though, if you keep track of their of their wealth, you somehow they end up becoming rich while being congressmen and women. And so what can we attribute that to? Well, you can, can you say insider trading? (laughs) I think maybe. Uh, Multiple lawmakers uh, sold their shares in First Republic Bank in the weeks before the firm collapsed and was sold to J.P. Morgan Chase by financial regulators. This is, this is a, a very interesting case here. Um, because it's just another example of what's going on when it comes to insider trading. Um, we, we, we've followed Nancy Pelosi's husband, and, and, and there, there is a, there's an app that literally uh, discloses what he does when it comes to trading of stocks. Um, and, and if you follow that, you can actually do really well. <laughs> and here is j- just another example of people, you know, somehow doing exactly the right thing at exactly the right time. First Republic Bank imploded on Monday, uh, weeks after uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank similarly collapsed. As um, as account holders with balances above the Federal Deposit Insurance Cor- Corporation threshold rushed to withdraw their funds, well, periodic transaction disclosure forms reveal that multiple lawmakers jettisoned their shares in First Republic Bank um, or acquired shares in J.P. Morgan Chase over the past two months. A phenomenon which followers, uh, you know, accusations that some lawmakers routinely buy stocks at opportune times and cut losses by selling shares. It's, It's just funny how this just happens always, you know, the way that it should with these guys. The lawmakers who sold shares of First Republic Bank indeed avoided heavy losses. I mean, the firm's stock fell from $121.54 a share at the beginning of the year to $3.51 a share at the time of the collapse. So basically, it just almost everything was wiped out. Um, representative. Lois Frankel, Democrat from Florida, sold between $1,000 and $15,000 in First Republic Bank shares on March 16th and bought between $1,000 and $15,000 in shares in J.P. Morgan Chase on March 22nd, less than a week later. Representative Ro Kahan, who is a Democrat from California, Praise, uh, purchased between the same $1,000 and $15,000 in shares of First Republic Bank. shares. Uh, th- those shares were purchased on March 9th, but likewise sold the same 
intermediate amount of, of uh, assets on March 15th, as well as purchased between the same amount of money in J.P. Morgan Chase stock on both March 3rd and March 14th. His disclosure form said the shares belonged to his wife and dependent child. Not to him, of course. Representative John Curtis, who's actually a Republican from Utah, meanwhile sold between $1,000 and $15,000 in First Republic Bank shares on March 16th, and his wife, and the wife of Representative Earl Blumenauer, who's the Democrat from Oregon, sold between $1,000 and $15,000 in First Republic Bank stock on March 20th. Representative Dan Goldman, Democratic from, a Democrat from New York, also sold the same amount of money in shares in First Republic Bank on March 15th. Are you seeing a pattern here? Representative Nicole um, Mal- Malatokis, who is a Republican from New York, previously bought between $1,000 and $15,000 of stock in, in New, uh, New York Community Bank Corp., the company which would acquire Signature Bank on March 17th. And and they and they say that that politics, you know, it really makes for strange bedfellows, right? Have you heard that before? Um, there, right now, are two very unlikely congressmen that are teaming up to do something about this kind of corruption, and it's kind of interesting to see because something needs to be done about this. I mean, obviously, these guys are making money because they have information that you and I don't have. And so they are able to buy and sell stocks that you and I wouldn't want to do or didn't know that we should do. And we're losing money because of it. They are not. They're making money because of this insider trading or insider uh, information. Now, Democrat and Republican lawmakers, including, get this, conservative representative Matt Gates, Republican from Florida, and leftist rising star, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democrat from New York, of course, pro- uh, proposed a bill that would ban members of Congress from trading individual stocks. Now, that's an idea, right? This may be one of the first times that I actually agree with AOC. <laughs> but anyway, several prominent lawmakers have been accused in recent years, of course, of using their um, their their intimate... Uh, knowledge about forthcoming regulations or economic turmoil uh, to uh, purchase stocks at uh, opportune times and reduce losses by selling shares. The the legislative proposal entitled the Bipartisan uh, Restoring Faith in Government Act would prohibit lawmakers, their spouses, and their dependents from purchasing individual stocks uh, or derivatives. Quote, the fact that members of the Progressive Caucus, the Freedom Caucus, and the Bipartisan Problem Solving Solvers Caucus, reflecting the entirety of the political spectrum, can find common ground on key issues like this should send a powerful message to America. That, that actually is a quote from uh, Brian Fitzpatrick, who's a Republican from Pennsylvania. Uh, another, um, he, he, another sponsor of, uh, of a bill that that, uh, uh, that, that he said in a statement, quote, we must move forward on issues that unite us, including our firm belief that trust in government must be restored and that members of Congress, including their dependents, must be prohibited from trading in stocks which 
they are serving uh, while they are serving in Congress and have access to sensitive inside information. I mean, how can you argue with that? <laughs> you really can't. I mean, there there is nothing that says that that would be a bad thing, right? I would. I mean, if so, I would love to hear hear that. Uh, lawmakers uh, would still be permitted to hold assets, um, you know, that uh, that they have uh, in a, a qualified blind trust or the federal pension system, uh, as well as widely held investment funds and and uh, government securities. So, you know, it's it's not barring them from investing at all. The act is one of several legislative proposals to. Uh, to uh, introduce bans on individual stock trading by lawmakers and their rep, uh, uh, relatives. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri, earlier this year introduced the Preventing elect- Elected Leaders from Owning Securities and Investments Act, uh, also known as the Pelosi Act. I love that. I, lo- I absolutely love that. You, you see how he, he, made, he made that uh, spell Pelosi Act. Um, while Representative um, Pamela Jayapal, who's a um, Democrat from Washington, uh, Rep- Representative Matt Rosendale, um, a uh, Republican from Montana, and Re- Representative Ken Buck, who's a Republican from Colorado, introduced a similar bill just, just uh, simply two months ago. Uh, quote, members of Congress are spending their time trading futures instead of securing the future of our fellow Americans. We cannot allow the swamp to prioritize investing in stocks over investing in our country. That's what Gates said. Um, and, and actually AOC said this, when members have access to classified information, we should not be trading in, in the stock market, um, trading in the stock market on it. It's really that simple. And again, I mean, I hate to agree with her, <laughs> because I, I just basically don't agree with almost anything she says. But I have to agree with her on this. I mean, this this is actually something that should be done. This is a bill that should pass um, and be signed by the president. Now, that's another issue right there, right? As many as 97 lawmakers or their immediate family members purchased or sold assets related to their legislative committee work between 2019 and 2021. Wow. According, this is according to an analysis published last year by the New York Times. Paul Pelosi, uh, which we talked about a little bit earlier, an investor and the husband of Representative Nancy Pelosi, the Democrat from California, as well as Elaine Chao, uh, a, a Republican who served as Transportation Secretary and the wife of the current uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, the Republican from Kentucky, traded individual stocks while their spouses were in leadership positions. But but here's the deal. Corruption is not limited to the federal government. When you put power and you put money together, there is going to be corruption. I mean, that that is just human nature. It's the way that we were made by God. We have a sinful nature. We are not good in ourselves. Okay? And when you put power and you put money together, there's going to be attempts at corruption. There are areas and states that have a great reputation for it, though. I mean, I mean, if you think you think uh, of uh, Chicago, for instance, right? Chicago politics. Um, you don't necessarily necessarily think of squeaky clean. Uh, Oregon is one of those states, 
and it is rearing its ugly head once again. Uh, Oregon Secretary of State Shamia Fagan uh, resigned from her post Tuesday after consulting uh, for a cannabis company that the state officials were auditing. Yeah. I mean, some of these guys aren't real bright, right? <laughs> Fagan, a Democrat, announced in a press release that she would resign effective May 8th. The resignation comes after local news outlets reported that she was receiving $10,000 a month in consulting fees from one of the state's largest marijuana dispensaries. At the same time, the Oregon Department of Revenue and the Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Commission were auditing the franchise and, uh, and the cannabis industry. Quote, while I am confident that the ethics uh, investigation will show that I followed the state's legal and ethical guidelines in trying to make ends meet for my family. It is clear that my actions have become a distraction from the important and critical work of the Secretary of State's office. Again, Secretary of State is the number two position in the state. You have governor and then you have Secretary of State. Right, the governor before the, this current one was was Secretary of State, and when the Democratic governor had to resign because of corruption, influence peddling, then she became governor. So, this is a very important office. Fagan said in a statement, "Protecting our our uh, uh, state's democracy and ensuring faith in our elected leaders. These are the reasons I ran for this office. They are also the reasons that I will be submitting my resignation today. I want to." Thank the incredible staff of the Secretary of State's office for their hard work and or the Oregonians for the opportunity to serve them. It has been an honor to serve the people of Oregon. All right. Yeah, similar statement to the last governor who resigned in disgrace as well. According to the Willamette Week, Fagan confirmed that she had accepted a consulting contract with Lamoda, one of the largest marijuana dispensary chains in the state. Lamoda is in significant legal trouble right now. The, the Oregon Department of Revenue and the IRS have filed more than $7 million in liens against the owners of the, uh, for, for uh, unpaid taxes. The owners and the companies they control have been sued more than 30 times in, in state court for failing to pay bills and, and other claims. And the owners of the chain were also significant donors to her campaign Yes, the Secretary of State's campaign and other Democrats statewide, of course. Besides the audit, the cannabis industry is regulated by the Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Commission, which is overseen by Fagan. Uh, Yeah. Furthermore, the state's audit division, also overseen by Fagan, was expected to release a report last week auditing the OLCC's regulation of cannabis. Fagan had recused herself from the investigation, so give her that at least, but come on. A separate report from Willamette Week Monday revealed that Fagan was being paid the $10,000 monthly consulting fee, but get this, with a $30,000 bonus for each license that she helped Lamoda secure outside Oregon. That figure, which totals about $120,000, is more than her state salary, which is only $77,000 a year. The contract had no end date. In a separate announcement Monday, she announced that she had terminated the contract, of course, and Fagan's um, 
resignation comes just two months after several of her subordinates on the Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Commission were also found to have used their power for personal gain. According to an internal investigation, at least six members of that OLCC, including the agency's former executive director, used their authority to divert rare and expensive bourbon whiskey so they could buy it for their personal use. The officials allegedly used their connections to push the rare spirits to a particular store where they could then be kept for, from the public and then they could purchase it. Uh, it's, it's just another example of corruption within our leadership. I mean, there's just no two ways around it. This is why it is so important to have as much transparency as possible within our government leaders. With position comes responsibility. And, and not all have personal character to handle that responsibility. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer in, in character. And, and when we have leaders in leadership positions of power and influence, where they deal with money and that type of thing, you have to have people in there with good, good character. That's how you need to vote when you, when you step into the, bowling, uh, the uh, voting booth next time or, or send it in, obviously, <laughs> with, with a lot of, lot of uh, mail-in ballots now. Uh, you need to look at their character, see as much as they, you can of, of what their character is, because that's going to tell you a lot about how they're going to handle that role. And you, again, you may, you may completely disagree with that and you, you may, uh, you know, want to have, start that discussion with me. I would love to have that with you. And of course you can always do that at uncommonsensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.